Oh, well, welcome to Livingstone Church. Really glad you're here this morning with us. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'd love for you, there's a connection card um, attached to your bulletin. Love for you to fill that out for us and just, you can drop it in the bucket when it comes by. Um, and just if you want to know some more information, uh, one thing that we are doing for people wanting to know more about Livingstone Church and what, we, what we're all about is on the first Saturday night of each month, we're getting together at my house at 7 p.m. We did it last night for the first one. And gathering together and kind of dialogue a little bit with me and my family, get to know us a little bit, hear a little bit about the history of the church, and then also hear why we're unique in this valley and what God has placed upon our hearts to accomplish for His kingdom work. So I'd love to have you join us for those. But before we dive in this morning, um, anybody else have kind of like a crazy, hectic week? Just a few, okay, just a few. Hey, mine was, mine was, I had planned on taking like Wednesday and Thursday to shut down and, and uh, do some things, but we, like on Tuesday night, the computer in the back of the sanctuary went crazy, like video card crazy, like things were shutting down and just flickering and you're like, what in the world's going on? So I spent Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, you know, I always brag on Apple, but I'm telling you what, God is making me pay for that one. Um, <laughs> I have been fixing and fighting with apples for two days, so um, it was kind of a crazy and hectic week, and when I arrived here this morning, um, I'd realized that I hadn't put the, the program, the, the slide program for this service together, and then when I went to load the slide program for this service, I realized I'd not even done my sermon slides for this morning. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had a little bit of a frantic morning, and I, and I think I know why. You know, coming into this passage, as Ethan was reading it, some of it may be familiar to you guys. This is a, this is a tough one. This is one of those ones that we're going to go, oh, man, do we really have to talk about that? Um, But it's a very, very healthy passage for us to look at as we look at being family. So please join with me in prayer. Father God, I'd ask that you just open our hearts to your leading, to your guiding this morning. That we would not close ourselves off from what you're doing. Um, Lord God, you would just work in us and draw us close to you, and that we may be a family that truly loves one another well, and we do the hard things well together, and that the hard things don't divide us, don't destroy us, don't pull us apart, but draws us together. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love for us and your Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, as we look here at Matthew 18, I'm going to Skip through here. There we go. We've been talking about being family. Families have great moments where in which everything is running smoothly, right? We're laughing, we're joyfully playing on car, playing together, and then all of a sudden, how many of you all have ever taken like long road trips with your family, right? Those moments, everything falls to pieces, doesn't it? I mean, you're driving in the car, the kids don't get along, things, wife and you had this one set of things that you planned on doing in the vacation, and they had someone else, and they hadn't talked well, and then now there's little fights, and what was supposed to be this wonderful vacation can sometimes turn into a time of fighting. But we all know that families fight. It just happens, right? Families have these moments where we don't get along. We have these moments where somebody says something hurtful against somebody else and the bickering begins. And sometimes division can make us stronger and sometimes division can make us weaker. But we need, in order for us or for our families to stay strong, 
We need someone in those families who's willing to lovingly come alongside of others. And, and when somebody's been hurt, somebody's been wronged, that they go and they speak to them. You know, we as kind of a, a family have gotten hooked on a television show called Flashpoint. You all know what Flashpoint so it's probably a reason why it's on Netflix and it's about a Canadian <laughs> Canadian special response unit SRU or strategic response unit SRU. And we, we've kind of gotten into this show pretty good. This last show, though, I don't think any of us particularly liked um, it, it kind of graded at us a little bit because they've been going through a traumatic series of events. So what they do is the strategic response unit responds to moments of crisis. Um, there's been an abduct, uh, abducted child. There's been there's a shooter on the rampage. There's all these different things going on, okay? And it's really great. It's a pretty clean show, and we enjoy watching that together. And we kind of identify different characters within the show that we like. And, well, this last show, the sergeant overseeing the team brought in an outsider to evaluate his team. They'd gone through so much together, and they had started to develop little rifts within the team. They've started developing some things that were going on within the team. That the team was now going to begin to danger itself, and the sergeant was so close. He was like, it wasn't just, he wasn't the sergeant over the team. He was like a father over a family. And he began to realize that with him being so close to these people in this team, he stopped having the ability to have a good understanding of where each team member was at. And so he brought in this outsider, and this outsider sat the sergeant down here, strapped him up to a heart monitor, and sat down each t- team member right here hooked up to a polygraph. Now, I've had the joy of being hooked up to a polygraph before, and just hooking me up to the polygraph, I started doing this. Okay? It's not a fun experience. And so he sits down each team member and begins to grill them at the moments when they were the weakest. The moments they, they faced the hardest points in mission. For one gentleman, it was like the first show. He was a sniper sitting on top of a building. There was a man holding a woman with a gun to her head. He was screaming. He's about ready to pull the trigger. And so their code word is Scorpio, which means to take the shot. Well, as he was about to take the shot, the man's son bursts through the crowd, runs right through the vision of the scope as he's pulling the trigger. Devastated. Those kind of moments just compounding upon each other and the sergeant wanting to know where his team's at. And as the things were being revealed where his team was really at, friction and anger started to erupt and his team, the mental status was revealed. But as you're watching this show, you really hated that guy who was making them go through this to reveal their weaknesses. Sometimes we feel like that in order to confront someone else when they've done something wrong to you, that we're being that jerk. And, and, and maybe we feel like that it, it's, it's going to not be helpful. And so we sometimes struggle to do it. But what we fail to realize is that God has called us to be a family of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16-21 reads this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made it him to be made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has called us as his people to be agents of reconciliation. And this big word reconciliation, what does it mean? Well, reconciliation is this idea, this concept that it's not just forgiving someone because we can forgive someone and never be reconciled to them. We can forgive them and say, I'm not going to hold what they've done against me any longer. But we never, ever once again form this relationship that we once had with them. We're not going to draw near it again. But Jesus is calling the family of God that when one sins against one another, that they reconcile to each other. They go through the hard moment where this person says, you have sinned against me and I'm going to confront you in that so that we might be once again joined together as family on mission for God together in all aspects of life. God calls us to be ministers of reconciliation, to be people who have a heart to see forgiveness and people's relationships joined together. And the basis of that call for us is to be agents of reconciliation is what Christ accomplished on our behalf. You see, we have been reconciled by God through Jesus Christ. Christ went to the cross and died upon the cross for our sins so might the wrath of God might be poured out on the Son, Jesus Christ, for our sin and so that we might now have relationship with God the Father. We might now be able to approach the throne whenever we need help. We might be able to pray. We might be able to be empowered by the Spirit of God, be strengthened by God in all these different ways and aspects that God, through Jesus Christ, has reconciled us to Him. And since we have been reconciled, and I, I'm using these big words and language, and I try not to often use it, but I want you to understand this powerful term that he, we were once strangers and aliens from God the Father, no way able to be part of the family of God. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we now are part of the family of God. And since we're now part of the family of God, then we are to be Christ-like and we are to be as followers of Jesus and part of the family of God, then we're to act the same way towards one another. As Christ reconciles us to the Father, as our sins come up before the throne of God, Jesus says they're under the blood and we remain part of the family. So we need to pursue each other even when we've been wronged by each other. Now, that's a different story than what the world tells you. The, the world tells you that, guess what? If somebody wrongs you, get rid of them because they're not about your joy, your happiness, your peace. And if they're not about your joy, your happiness, your peace, then they're not worth having around. Jesus Christ says the family of God is worth having around, and you need each other. You want each other. You, they have gifts that you need. They have spiritual encouragement that you need, and you need each other as a body of believers. We need each other. And so when we mess up and we sin against each other, that we're to draw together. We're also, as we do this, as we are a family that reconciles to one another, we are a visual representation to the world of Christ's pursuit of us. Christ is pursuing us. As we sin and we 
distance ourselves from God and we start pursuing our own direction, Christ pursues us. He does not leave us alone. He does what it takes to draw our hearts back to Him. And so we are to do with each other as one is sinned against. We are to pursue the one who sinned against us and to draw us back to a family of Christ. And we understand that as we do this, we have the heart of Christ. Matthew goes on in this passage as Jesus is instructing the disciples to inform them of what this looks like to confront one another in love. But before we go there, I want to take a small rabbit trail. Why confront sin? A lot of people think that we just need to let it go. We'll pray about it and let God deal with it. But God gives something different right here. He says, brothers, you to confront one another with your sin. The reason is God has an amazing and abundant life for you to live. That life is not in bondage to sin. It's not a life that's addicted to things that are outside of the things that God has for you. God has an amazing life for you. Amazing. But if we allow sin to creep in and we we don't confront sin, then we sell each other short. And we keep each other from having an amazing, abundant life. Marriage is one of the most difficult things in the world. Amen? All right? My wife just loudly proclaimed, amen. 21 years she will be married to me this July 1st. She knows the difficulty of it. Oftentimes, marriage is so difficult is because we don't practically live this out. I had two profound examples of what forgiveness and a healthy marriage looked like in my life. My grandma Juzik and my grandpa Juzik, they may have been 60, 70 years old, but they were young and in love. They chased each other around. They flirted with each other. Us grandkids thought it was gross. Like, what are you doing? Don't you know you're too old for that? No, nobody could tell them that. And I don't mean to speak badly, but my grandma and grandpa Morris were the opposite contradiction of that. My grandma Morris lived at one end of the house, and my grandpa Morris lived in the other. They were married on paper only. You could walk in that house, and you could feel the division. There was no forgiveness. They... they very legalistic. My dad was raised in a very legalistic family, and it was all about the rules, and it was never about grace. It was never about forgiveness. They remembered wrongs long done, long time ago. Their marriage reflected that lack of forgiveness within their life. And I think all of us in this room would say we, we want to have amazing marriages with our spouses. We want to have amazing marriages. And so when I do a marriage ceremony, Oftentimes I stand in front of the couple and I say to them, you know, the only problem with this marriage is this man and this woman. Other than that, it'd be great, right? The selfish man and the selfish woman are going to be joined together and they're going to do things that hurt each other. They're going to say things that are mean and vicious. But their ability to forgive one another and reconcile to one another and move past those hurts, we're going to determine the tenure and the vibrance of that marriage. Same thing for the family of God. Churches split all the time because there's sin that's not being dealt with or we, or we go to deal with it and we deal with it in the wrong way. 
You see, when we approach one another to reconcile together as a family, we come at it with this loving attitude and heart of God. As Christ pursues us, we pursue one another. And this means that in order to pursue, if you look at this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now get this, between you and him alone. That's step one. If there's sin, if there's an issue going on, you pursue one another directly to one another. You don't call up 10 of your closest Christian friends and say, I need prayer support. I'm going to go talk with this person because they did me dirty. That's gossip. Okay? What does Jesus say? If someone has sinned against you, you go, boom, deal with it directly. Here to here. And the beautiful picture that is painted here, and if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. You have grown closer in the Lord together. You have grown stronger together. There's been repentance, confession. You now have a tighter relationship in God. The family of God just got stronger. But if we go and we run 10 tell ten people to, hey, i got to go confront this person their sin, and they've done me dirty, and I can't believe they did this to me, then guess what? Well, when that person confesses and repents to you, you better turn around and confess and repent to them because you just said, yeah, I told everybody what you did. And, and they're going, now I've got to face 10 people when this could be dealt with at the lowest level. The lowest level. So oftentimes, in the church family, we fail to handle sin against one another appropriately, and we get self-defensive. Is that a word? It is today. I just made it up. We're going with it, okay? We start getting more concerned with ourselves and justifying ourselves and say, I didn't deserve to have that happen to me. Jesus Christ didn't deserve to go to the cross. He's the only person in all of history to say, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that to happen to me. I got it. Sin stinks and it's horrible. So what do you do about it? You confront the sin. You go deal with it. You go confront it and you say in a loving heart manner. But in order to do this well, you have to have forgiven the person before you begin that journey to confront them. Because if you don't forgive them, then you're going to approach them with this heart of of self-entitlement, of of anger, bitterness, and of rage and say, you did this to me. How dare you do this to me? And there's no, there's going to be no reconciliation in that relationship. All you're doing is approaching someone because you're hacked off. Versus approaching the way Christ approaches us when we sin and pursues us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to pursue one another, forgive them and approach them because what's on our heart? We want to see them draw close into the family of God again. That is the purpose we confront someone is so that we might be united together in relationship. Not to divide the body further. So our attitude of our heart has to be one of humility. And it's, it's going to take some courage because you're going to like lay that, that right to hold it against them down and you're going to approach them with a humble heart and say, I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. And just in case, ladies, you see brother a lot here and so you're thinking that you're off the hook. No, this is kind of a, a gender, non-gender, Pacific, you know, y'all, hey, you guys kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's for everybody here. And one thing else, too, to notice here, Jesus doesn't tell the disciples, go get the elders. Go get the rulers of the church. Go run and tell your pastor someone has sinned against you. I'm going to tell you what you do. I'm going to tell you, if you come to me 
And you say, someone has sinned against me and done these things. I'm going to turn around and tell you, well, have you talked to them? No. Then that's your next stop. Because I'm not going to listen to you. I am telling you right now, I will not listen to you. I'm going to want you to confront that person first. Because I want you to go there and, and talk with them. Now, if it's an unsafe situation or you fear violence or, or threat of those things, then we can have a discussion about that. But bottom line, the Scripture tells us we confront one another in love with the purpose and intention of the purse being reconciled to Jesus Christ and to the family of God. You see, we're a family. And, and that's, as we talk about being a family, this isn't just tongue-in-cheek. It isn't some cool vernacular we're using. We truly mean this, that we want to become a tight family of God used by God for His kingdom work in this place. You see, we believe God is about ready to stir things up in this valley. And that we need to be ready as a family of believers working together to receive whatever God's going to do. And so that the world might know what the love of Jesus Christ looks like and what it looks like to be reconciled to one another. Loving confrontation. Brothers and sisters, I hope that as we look at this, when we begin to study this, that our hearts are broken for those people who have sinned us and not we just getting angry at them. That our hearts break as we see the effects of sin in our church family, see the effects of sin in our world. And we go, Lord, we want your will to be done and we want them to grow stronger in you and us to have a tighter relationship. But sometimes people don't listen. Sometimes you may have been there yourself where you've so steeped in your sin and you're enjoying your sin and you're enjoying being where you're at that when someone comes and confronts you, You justify your sin instead of confessing. Sometimes it happens. Well, the Bible says that, hey, if you go confront your brother lovingly in the right heart and they do not repent, then he raises it up a notch. And and he raises it up a big notch. A really big notch. He goes Old Testament law on their tails. Okay? Because this idea of bringing two or three witnesses, you understand in the Old Testament law, if you brought along two or three eyewitnesses of an event, that meant that that, those witnesses bearing their testimony could cause somebody to be put to death. Okay? They didn't need the Supreme Court back then. Three witnesses, eyewitnesses of the event to come before and testify before the leaders of Israel. That person, it was a judicial statement. They could be put to death. That there was supposed to be immediate confession and repentance. Because when three people come together to confront that person, it's no longer this one person's opinion that they've been sinned against. It's now fact. What you're doing is wrong. And you need to confess and repent. And it should cause a shock effect. Oh my goodness. Three people are sitting down with me to confront my sin. And it should be a little bit just very humbling. And they should realize, oh my goodness, I need to confess and repent. And again, but when the three approach them, it's not, you know, they're not bringing baseball bats and clubs. Okay? It's with a broken heart because sin is so hitting this brother or sister in Christ. It's so impacting them that they're so entrenched in it that they don't want to repent. And these people that are coming to speak to them, their hearts are broken for this person. And they're praying for them. And they're desiring to see this person confess of their sin so they might return to that abundant life in Jesus Christ and the fellowship of their family without any hindrances. And they're coming to them out of love. Jesus goes on to say, but if they still refuse to confess and repent at this point, 
Then you pull out the big guns. This next portion is really difficult to stand to understand in the American church. It's because we have failed in the American church to create loving families that rely on one another. Part of that's the philosophy of today. Part of that's out of our own desires for happiness because guess what? When we hear something we don't want to hear oftentimes at a, in a church gathering or, or dealing with another church member or with a family member of the body of Christ, we bounce. Well, I don't like what you just said. So there's 10 more churches in Chelan. I'll go find one that doesn't mind what I'm doing. I'll go find one that isn't going to have grievance or issue with how I'm living my life. And they'll be happy to have me. Because, hey, let's be honest, we're just all fighting for people to join our church, right? And instead of being able to work through things, instead of relationships being so closely knit and so tight that it would be devastating. See, this is what Jesus is talking about with his disciples. When when Judas betrayed Jesus. He didn't just betray Jesus. He betrayed all the disciples. Could you imagine that effect that it had on that family for him to step outside of that fellowship and be completely alienated and foreign to God now? Look what he did. He went and hung himself. He betrayed the Son of Man. He betrayed his brothers in Christ. And he hung himself. And I argue they were not his brothers as I don't believe We'll see Judas in heaven. We can talk about that later. The bottom line is, this is really hard for us to understand because we really don't want those kind of close relationships in a church family because that's really scary. To have so close of a relationship that if you were to be pushed outside of that circle of fellowship, your world would feel like it's ending. We don't know that. We don't know relationships like that within the church family. But as we work through this passage of Scripture, as we work for this year, it's my intention and desire to create a family atmosphere here where we feel that way. We're so closely knit to one another that if we don't gather together, if we don't spend time together, we feel dry. We feel disconnected. We feel like something's wrong deep within us. And that to be cut out, to be pushed away from a family of believers because of sin is something that we actually fear. See, that's the kind of relationship and family Christ is telling his disciples to develop and build. It's one that we are really afraid of in America because it's about my happiness. It's about my joy. Oftentimes in marriage relationships, the reason marriage relationships struggle so much is because that's what we get focused on. We get so focused on our internal, our own desires and our own happiness and our own wants and desires that we lose this understanding that God didn't make marriage for us to be happy. He made marriage for us to understand how Christ loves the church. And let me tell you what, Christ doesn't enjoy the church very often. How many times has the church failed to be obedient to God and listen to Him and love Him, but Christ remains just as committed to the church every single day in that loving relationship. And so husbands and wives need to remain committed to one another despite how we emotionally feel. And we just strive to understand that it we're going to deal with our selfishness and we want our spouses, hopefully that they'll deal with their selfishness and we'll draw close together. Keller makes a great statement in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that a truly successful marriage is when two couples realize that the problem with the marriage is their own selfishness. 
And so we as a family of believers in Jesus Christ, we desire to create a family where in which we're not in this to just for our own happiness, but we're in this to be servants of Jesus Christ, to draw close to one another. And as we do draw close to one another and we do create family, we will experience joy like we've never had it before. I've been confronted with sin in this church family, areas where I've messed up, people that I've hurt. Those were hard moments. But man, I love those people more dearly now than ever because they spoke to me and we had the opportunity to grow in our relationship and draw together. But sometimes people just don't want to repent. And so Paul or Jesus goes on to say, you've got to cut them off. You've got to come off. Now, that situation, I believe, looks differently. I don't believe you can just stake a carte blanche. This is how we're going to handle cutting somebody off from the church family. We're going to drag them up on a Sunday morning in front of Lottie Dottie, everybody. And we're going to tell everybody, don't talk to this person anymore. Don't fellowship with this person anymore. Now, if they're a church leader, if it's Jeffrey or I that's caught in sin and we're freezing to repent, that's what happens. You drag us up front because we're leaders of the church. We are the faces of the church family. I know, Jeffrey, you didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Jeffrey's looking at me, what? <laughs> but that's the deal. But for somebody, you know, a layperson in the church is struggling with sin and not repenting, maybe it's those people who are directly being affected by their sin that encounters them. We deal with that. The elders will deal with that as a case-by-case basis. But the bottom line is that they're cut off from the family, from the fellowship, from the thing that they need. And you may think that this morning that's an unloving and an extreme thing. Let me help you understand the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God the Father. That's the most important thing in your life. Period. Not physical health. Not possessions, finances, financial stability, not a retirement fund. The most important thing in your life is your relationship with God the Father. What's really cool is that we have a very clear example in Scripture of this taking place, this kind of discipline taking place within the family of God in the Corinthian church, in the Corinthian family. They had a gentleman. You guys might think this is a little gross. He had a gentleman who was sleeping with his stepmom. Okay? And the church knew about it. And the church was not confronting the sin. And the dude was not repentant. The dude was like, hey, I'm having a good time in my sin here. I'm having a good time doing what I'm doing. I don't care what damage it's doing to everybody else in the body of Christ. I really don't care. I'm having, I'm in it for me. And the dude was just stuck in his sin. And Paul says to him, cut him out of the church. Cut him off. Remove him from the umbrella, the protection of the church. You see, being part of the family of God, being part of a local church community, provides some safe haven, some community, some protection. To be pulled out from underneath that puts him off out in the world to be fully attacked by the evil one off on his own. And it's devastating. But the cool thing in 2 Corinthians is we read that the man was restored and was back in fellowship with the body of Christ. That's exciting. Because that's the purpose of all this. Don't lose focus on this. This is a hard passage, but the purpose of all of this is to restore the person back into the fellowship and the fold of God. And so that we may fellowship and rejoice with him once more. So it'd be like the prodigal son returning that we get excited about his homecoming. We get excited about, and when he comes back, we're thrilled. And one of the ways God's used to draw that person back is the prayers of the saints. Look at this. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whoever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, am I among them. What he's getting at here, and it's been fun. I've seen this passage pulled out of context. Context means something, folks. So if you're going to reference this scripture, I, I actually, this is really funny. Um, we had a group of people a long time ago, um, one of the small churches I was at in Nebraska. They said, pastor says up on a Sunday morning, wherever two or three are gathered in my name. So guess what, folks? We're going to get together. We need a new roof on this church. So we're going to sit down, and we need more than two or three, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get a new roof next week. Yes, we need a new roof. Not going to argue that, but um, that's not what the passage is intending here. What Jesus is specifically telling his disciples is that you get together and you pray for the soul of this individual who is on a path of absolute destruction, that they might be united together in request, in petition, that God would do whatever it takes to draw that soul home. Whatever it takes. And that we're not then going into a mode of gossip and slander against that person, but we are heartbroken that this person has chosen a path of sin and devastation and destruction and separation from God versus pursuing God. That needs to be our heart as we enter in praying for someone. I'm telling you something, this valley stinks when it comes to rumors and, and talking about other people. I think somebody actually got blamed for the rock slide for crying out loud, right? Rock slide over on South Shore. So, I mean, I heard a rumor that somebody, oh, somebody was, are you serious? Come on. And I think his brothers and sisters, total rabbit trail here. Hey, when you encounter that in this, in this town as agents of reconciliation and agents of Jesus Christ, kill those suckers. Not the people, right? Not the people. The rumor. The rumor. Tell them, tell the people lovingly, listen, that's not okay. Yeah, there we go. That's not, not there. It's not okay to speak it out those things and say those things. And that we are people that puts to death rumors. But brothers and sisters, as we unite together in prayer, the key is that your heart is broken. Your heart is broken for the person who is struggling in their sin. And if you want to be angry, be angry at that sin. Be angry at the effects of the evil one and what he's doing in the church body. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't run around town telling, oh, we had this person in our church family that did this. Rather, let's be united in prayer for them. That God would do what it takes to draw them back into the fold and family of God. We're not to give up on each other. Even when we're in sin. It's the same thing you saw two weeks ago. Even when we're in sin. Even when we're struggling. As a wandering sheep has wandered off, Christ pursues the sheep. We pursue each other. We don't give up on each other. Even when we've seen someone enter into sin and we keep praying for them. But let me tell you something. The reason so oftentimes sin, we reach this crisis moment, because people say, well, the elders will deal with it. Do you realize, understand, by the time it reaches the elder level, It's in crisis mode. But if you would have had the courage, if I would have had the courage, then when we first heard about it, that we went and confronted the person and lovingly 
for a broken heart, desiring them, forgiving them, to see them draw back to the Lord, that could have been dealt with then and there, and it would never have to reach this level. It would never have to reach this level where they're so engrossed in sin. But if you had just dealt with it right away, I'm telling you what, marriages, so many marriages, if we would have just equipped people and their, and to help them in their marriages, that when we encounter that first fight, to be able to how to forgive each other well at that first moment and work through things together and, and work on being a family and God together, that so many marriages would not end up in crisis. But the problem is, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do this well. We don't practice this well. So we end up with a lot of marriages in crisis. And in this valley, there's a lot of them. Your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his fault. You know, I was last pastoral training, and I'll close with this. I was given some great insight by a, by a gentleman named Brian Howard, and he said, um, Pastors, when you're reviewing your staff, let me help you out with something. Go away from, do not do annual reviews. And we're like, what? That's the mecca of all like management methods, right? You gotta have the annual review, right? And his statement was, cause how would you enjoy it if somebody waited a year to tell you you'd screwed up 10 months ago? And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Jeffrey has no more annual review. And Jeffrey and I have kind of made this cool agreement together that as we mess up along the way, we're just going to talk to each other along the way. And along the way, we're going to have these conversations so that we can deal with stuff here and it never has to go to here. And what if we adopted that as a family? Even within our own families, we start dealing with it as it happens. We don't wait till it goes from simmer to a rapid boil, to overflowing the pot. But rather we deal with it as it happens and we confront one another in love, addressing the hurts and addressing the things that have gone wrong and so that that person might be given the opportunity. And that's what it is. got to understand, I think for some reason people feel that if they're confronted with sin and they're having to confess something, that it's a bad thing, it's a good thing. Confession and repentance is a good thing. It shows us putting to death more of ourself and leaning more into Jesus Christ. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And if we're confronted by our brother and sister and we've messed up, then we say, thank you. Thank you for having the courage to do this. I, I, I forget, you know, I seek forgiveness for this and I'm sorry for doing that. Let's pray together. Let's reconcile. What do we need to do to reconcile together? And how does this movie move forward? And the more we practice this as a family, the stronger we become as a family. This is not something we should dread to live. But we should be excited to live together so that we might grow stronger as a family in Christ. And none of us, no one in this room, is above being confronted in their sin. We want a strong family. We want strong marriages. We want to raise our kids in an environment and in an atmosphere in our home where we regularly confess and repent. And where our kids have the right to call us on stuff where we messed up. We're our youth. We're not saying, oh, you know, Catherine's very good at it. Dad, you said this. You're doing this. Thank you, Catherine. I'm sorry. I didn't keep my word. You're right. 
The more we get to all practices, the stronger we become as a family. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunities that we have to draw close to you and draw close to one another. And Lord, I pray if there's a situation where in which we um, need to seek someone out, that we would make that a top priority this week. Not out of a heart of anger or resentment, but a broken heart for the person who's struggling and our desire to see them relationships restored. Lord, let us not just settle with broken relationships. Let's not, let's fight for each other, Father God. Just convict our hearts to fight for relationships with one another and not just walk away from things when they get hard. Lord God, please help us do the hard thing as well. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.